This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierosa is teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 5. This is the section commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. It's rich with moral teachings that Jesus uses to point people to the root of our problems, our sinful hearts. Last week, we heard the first part of this message about how Jesus would have his followers handle deception. Far from the ordinary standards we prefer, God's standards are much higher and much more challenging than our world of situational ethics, half-truths, and white lies permit. But once we commit to follow the Savior, we are also committed to following his commands. And Jesus, who calls himself the truth, wants us to reflect that truthful character as well. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to the rest of today's message from Pastor Pierre. The reason we want nothing to do with deception is because we are no longer children of wrath. According to Ephesians 2 verse 3, we have no longer anything to do with the father of lies. So therefore, our attitude should be, of course I'll sign my contract. Of course I will honor. Even if I don't sign my contract, my plan is to honor this and I'll do it at all costs anyway. Now, I'll sign the contract to make you feel better about my promise, of course, but know that in my heart, that's not even an issue. That's not even a question. And Jesus, therefore, reminds his audience here that they shouldn't swear frivolous by heaven, earth, or Jerusalem, or anything else for the purpose of getting out of complete honesty. Or for the purpose of betraying people by saying later on, See, (laughs) I didn't invoke the name of God on this one. You should have been more attentive. No, he's saying that is sinful. That is deception. You're acting like the father of lies, not like our father who is in heaven. And in verse 35, Jesus gives a simple rationale for that. It's very simple. He says this, Whatever you say, However you word your vow, if you're doing it by Jerusalem, by the earth, or self, whatever, God is already a witness because he's everywhere. Whether you say the formalities or not, whether you raise your right hand or not, whether you place it in the Bible or on your chest, or even if you cross your finger, God is already watching. Why? Because he's in heaven, he's in earth, and Jerusalem is the capital of the new heaven and the new earth anyway, is what he's saying here. He is everywhere. And to make his point, Jesus even paraphrases Isaiah 66, verse 1. When God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So Jesus is making a very simple and clear point, saying, whether you invoke the witness of God or not, he is already in the transaction. Why? Because he's everywhere. So you shouldn't have to swear to God. You shouldn't have to invoke his name. Just say what you're going to do and fulfill your commitment. Now, in verse 36, Jesus confronts another foolish oath, common at the time, but perhaps not so common today. They would swear by themselves. Think about the arrogance and the self-centeredness of this. They would swear by themselves that they're telling the truth, or they intend to keep their vows, or that they will fulfill their end of the bargain. And they're offering as a guarantee to the other person, my own holiness. They would say, I'm going to fulfill my vow, and I swear by my own head, As if you are the holiest of them all. As if you're not a sinner. And the point that Jesus is making is this, very clearly. You cannot serve as your own witness against yourself because you will always be biased in your favor. Just like mom, you will always be biased in your favor. 
Now, swearing by yourself is the pinnacle of arrogance and self-centeredness because you can't even change the color of your hair, Jesus is saying here. You, you, you can't even control your aging process. You can't change the color of your hair without the aid of cosmetics, of course. Or if you're like me, you just shave it off. You don't even know the color of your hair. The point is, you cannot even control your aging process. How can you invoke yourself to testify in your favor about your own honesty? And quite frankly, probably some people don't even know the color of their hair anymore, the natural color. So the only person who qualifies to do this, and the author of the book of Hebrews tells us who. Let me read to you Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 14. Listen to this. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since who could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And there's another one. Numbers 14, verse 28, the Lord says, as I live, as I live, I will surely do to you. So, and there are plenty of those in the Bible that God swears by himself. God is giving the guarantee of his promise. Now, because you may be asking, pastor, does that mean that the promises of God that he uttered without an oath or a solemn oath are less binding? And the answer to this, before you even attempt to consider that, the answer to this is obviously no. Because God cannot be less than perfectly truth. That is his nature. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He cannot lie. He cannot be any less truthful whether he makes a promise with the binding oath or not. In other words, the, the solemnity of the oath brings affirmation and comfort to the recipient of the promise. And that's the case with Abraham here. So with or without an oath, what that means for us is this. With or without an oath... Every promise that God makes to you, my friend, is backed up by the divine essence. That's the guarantee that we have. Every promise that God made to you is backed up by himself. The guarantee is his own essence, his own perfection. For example, Numbers 23, verse 19, we're, we're told that God is not a man that he should lie. And in Jeremiah 32, verse 27, we're told, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? So we should trust God completely when he makes promises to us. First of all, because he's never going to lie. He's not a man to go back on his promises. And second of all, there's nothing difficult for God to do. There's, it's not a problem for God to pay what he committed to pay, if that's the case. It's not a problem for God to take you somewhere that he promised to take you. For example, heaven. It's not a problem for God to change your heart. So God is the only one who can do that. People shouldn't or cannot and shouldn't swear by themselves. That's the, a, a specific issue that Jesus is addressing here. So he identifies the pattern and exposes the problem concerning deception and how subjects of the kingdom of heaven should handle that. And now he concludes with the principle in verse 37. And he concludes this portion of the Sermon on the Mount by offering the solution to the Pharisaical problem, the substandard honesty. And according to him, here it is, according to him, subjects of the kingdom of heaven should always honor their word without the need to invoke God as a witness. Again, because he already knows your pure motives or the evil intent of your heart, if that's the case, before you even utter a word, before you even bring the pen and pencil to sign the contract, because God is present in heaven, earth, in Jerusalem, and everywhere else. By contrast, People shouldn't call upon their own natural honesty to testify on their behalf because every one of us is a sinner by nature, evident by the fact that we can't even reverse our aging. And that's why Jesus uses this illustration of white hair and black hair, because that is a sign of aging. We cannot conclude, can't even control that process. We're sinners. And our white hair reminds us of that for that reason. 
We shouldn't say any kind of frivolous oath that calls upon ourselves to testify. I speak the truth that I am my own guarantee. You shouldn't even have to say this. We shouldn't even have to invoke Jerusalem or invoke my dead mother or anybody else. And we shouldn't have to swear to God. In other words, Jesus says, let your word be your bond. Tell the truth and mean it. When you make a commitment, honor every term of your commitment. And thus, Jesus dismantles the pharisaical system of convoluted oaths and vows and presents the principle of godly ethics, specifically in the area of honesty, integrity, and truthfulness in its purest form. In church, those of us who are subjects of the kingdom of heaven should live by that standard in everything we do. Lying shouldn't come up even as we're tempted to lie, but we, we shouldn't even consider it. Why? Because we are serving the one who confronts the human system of deception or situational ethics. So there's no reason to lie. There's no reason to come up with white lies or half-truths. Just say what you mean, mean what you say. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to lie to people and say you love cats when you actually hate them. Or when you love dogs when you actually just say you prefer birds. You know, that, that's, that's a silly example. But lying is in our nature, in our sinful nature, and so much part of our system and in our culture, in our day-to-day lives, that we don't even notice it sometimes. In fact, if you remove lying from the political system, not only in America, but in every system of government in the world, the system collapses pretty much. Why? Because it's a reminder that uh, the godly theocracy that Jesus promises to establish, meaning the millennium, he will rule in the truth. And every human system, therefore, includes lying and is deceptive and it's substandard. And that's why we're looking forward to the system of government, to a society that Christ is going to establish with him at the top, ruling with justice and truth. So for us, we shouldn't even have to swear to God we're telling the truth. Because God calls us to uphold kingdom ethics at the highest level, the standard which calls for honesty at all costs. So obviously, what we need to do when we learn this is you need to tell the truth. If you're holding on to a lie, you need to come and tell the truth. If you've been lying to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to anybody else, you need to come up with the, immediately, right now, when you, you need to come up with a plan to tell the truth and bear the consequences. God's gonna be gracious to you. Why? Because you're a subject of the kingdom of heaven. You don't live according to the father of lies. And the other thing, too, is if, if you have a contract in your hands, if you have a commitment, honor that commitment at all costs. Don't, don't find ways to defraud the other person and try to get out of your commitment. Even if it's self-incriminating, even if it's embarrassing, even if it's unprofitable, inconvenient, and unpopular, we speak the truth. So when somebody asks you, what's your position on homosexuality, for example? You don't need to lie if you're a believer in Christ. You already know what your position is. You side with what Scripture says. It's unpopular. It may be inconvenient. It may even be dangerous. But you speak the truth at all costs. If anybody asks you, what's your position on divorce? There's no issue. Well, I side with what Scripture says. My position is aligned with what Scripture says. And Scripture says this about marriage and divorce. Somebody asks you your position on racism or violence. There's no question about that. You align your position with what Scripture says. You don't need to lie in order to be popular or to propose an image that is not true. So that's how we're supposed to live. That's the principle that Jesus is teaching here. We keep our promises even if doing so costs time and money. If you're called upon to take an oath in court, do it. But uphold the truth at all time. If you decide to enter into a contract or a lease, nobody's going to force you into one. If you decide to enter into a contract or a lease, honor the terms of your contract, even if your signature is not necessary. 
For example, if you sign up a lease to pay a car, pay, make the payments. Do everything you can to honor your side of the contract. If you can't, just call them up and say, listen, this is what's going on. And make your intention known that you want to honor the terms of that contract. Just don't get out of it and dishonor the name of God. Now, in this last verse here, there's another point we need to address here. Jesus is not prohibiting you from changing your mind when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's not saying don't change your mind for a simple reason. Let's, Let's think logically here. A modification of plans is necessary from time to time. For example, Jesus calls people to change their minds about their sin. Okay, so if you're not a believer in Christ and you're hearing the gospel for the first time, you need to repent, which means you need to change your mind about who you are. You need to change your mind about who God is and what Jesus has done for you. According to Scripture, you need to line up with what Scripture says and abandon what you have learned so far. That's what, that's what it means to be born again. So that calls for a change of mind. In fact, Bible says in Romans 12 that we are to renew our minds. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay, Uh, another example here, a mundane example. Sometimes you are called upon to change your mind about what to wear. If the way you dress is causing other people to lust after you, you need to change your mind about that. The other thing, sometimes you may need to change your mind about what you eat for health reasons. If you love bacon and your doctor says if you continue with that practice, you're going to die, then you need to change your mind about that. And so Jesus is not saying don't ever change your mind about anything. That's not the point. And likewise, you're not in violation of this principle if you decide to change careers. I already talked about this, but if you do it right, in fact, if God is calling you to the ministry, and that's happened to many people before, they're in a career, okay? And God calls them to change careers, to become a minister of the gospel. Then they need to change their mind about that. They need to obviously make every effort to honor their commitments and provide the transition for that, and they need to change their minds about that. I'll give you an example here. When when um, it was clear that God was calling me to become the pastor at Grace Baptist Church, God was calling me to change plans. God was calling me to leave everything behind in Southern California and come here and be the shepherd of Grace Baptist Church. Well, I did everything I could to honor my commitments to the point where I talked to my boss at the time, our senior pastor, and he agreed with me. He said, this is obvious that God is calling you for that. I I don't want to stand in the way, although I would like you to stay here, but I'm not going to stand in the way of that. Let's, let's, uh, Let's do it together. And I made a commitment to honor what I had said and committed to a time of transition. So it wasn't until a month later that I came here because I wanted to make sure I honored the transition time that I gave everybody an opportunity to adjust. And I'm not saying this to say I'm the example of virtue. I'm just using an example that is close to home. And many of you have much better examples than this, that we are to honor our commitments. And Jesus is not saying don't change your mind ever about anything, that you are forever bound to do this for the rest of your life just because you said you would. No, we understand that sometimes there's a need to change and sometimes those needs are necessary. By the way, here's another example that I mentioned earlier. Sometimes you need to recant a story because you told a lie and now you're convicted by the truth. You need to recant that first story. Then honor God and tell the truth and say, I lied in the beginning and here is the truth. That is honorable. That honors God. God will be gracious. God will honor you if that's the case. And if kids do it all the time when they're confronted with the lie and the mom and dad are talking to them and tell them, tell me the truth. Where did you get the candy? Tell me the truth. What did you do? And they will say, well, I did this and I told you a lie, but now I want to tell the truth. And that's beautiful. That restores trust and restores the fellowship. So 
what Jesus is saying here is this. Don't deceive people by saying one thing and meaning something else. It's a simple statement here. Don't deceive others. Don't defraud others by saying this and meaning something else. And the reason we know that, because he's talking about interpersonal relationships, because he's talking about murder at the heart. Then he moves on to lust and adultery at the heart. He's talking about defrauding people, use deception. And he's going to continue here talking about an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the injury between people. So he's talking about interpersonal relationships. And he saying the standard is much higher than you think. The standard is not the pharisaical system, but is a godly system of honesty. It's the highest standard, the highest standard of excellence when talking about honesty and being truthful. So don't deceive people by saying one thing and meaning something else. It's better not to say anything at all. Don't be quick to commit to things. Pastors get sucked into this a lot, and that's truth in my world too. And I hate to give you another personal example, but I say yes to things before I even think about it. Because I'm pressured to give a response. People want me to do things for them. And I don't want to break their hearts. I don't want to say no to them. I don't want to be quick to say no. So I say yes to things. And I realized almost immediately that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have said yes to this. I shouldn't have committed to this. Almost all the time, I can't get out of it. I need to honor what I've committed to. But then I say, I need to commit no longer. And I have said this before many times. And say, well, I'm going to commit until this point. But after this, I need to tell you, I, I, I didn't think this through. I didn't realize this was going to take that much time or energy on my part. But I, I need to say, I can no longer commit from this point on. I hope you're okay with that. I honored my commitment until this point. But from now on, please find somebody else. Or, or please adjust your plans. And I'm not dishonoring the, the principle here from Jesus if I'm doing it the right way instead of just not showing up. That would be dishonoring to God because I would be defrauding people. It, I would give the impression that I said something and meant something else. So the point here is this, a summary in this verse here. You don't have to make promises. But when you do, or when you are required to make them, for example, for a job or some sign of contract, just keep your word. You don't need to swear to God. You don't need to invoke God's name because he's already in the transaction. If you need to sign a paper, do it. And and, and in your heart, the attitude should be, of course, I, I don't mind signing my name in a dotted line here because that is my intent anyway. Make sure you read the, the small print. Make sure you, you know what you're committing to. So in summary... This is how subjects of the kingdom of heaven should handle deception. And Jesus spoke about the pattern, the problem, and the principle. Very simple. And I want to conclude with this. Since he's talking about saying yes and no to some things, I want to stay within the context and talk about a few things we should say yes to and some things we should say no to. Again, based on the context and the immediate context of the Sermon on the Mount here. Here's the first one. You don't have to get married. That's a decision you make, but if you do, you need to honor your marriage vows at all costs. And you need to honor the biblical vision of marriage. Don't do marriage like the world does. The way the world does marriage is this. It's all about me. All all about me being happy. If you don't make me happy, then there's a problem. No, no, no. That's how the world does it. Christ says, I have a better standard. Okay, so you don't have to get married, but if you do, you honor your marriage vows. And not only that, if you're a husband, you love your wife like Christ loved the church unconditionally, sacrificially. And if you are a wife, you submit to your husband as unto the Lord because that's what the Bible says. And you do it with a glad heart because that's God's standard. And when you honor that standard, God will honor you even though from time to time it may be hurtful. And from time to time there's no perfect harmony in that because you were talking about two sinful people living in the same house and having different opinions about uh, how to do the paper towel, how to roll the toilet paper, how to squeeze the tube of toothpaste. People actually fight about these things. 
So you don't have to get married, but if you do, you honor your marriage vows at all costs. Divorce shouldn't even be in your heart. And murder shouldn't either, okay? Now here's what you should say no to according to the immediate context here, and uphold the standard of virtue that Jesus expects from us. And never practice spiritual hypocrisy. You should vow in your heart to never practice pharisaical religion, pharisaical hypocritical religion. You should vow that in your heart. No need to sign a paper. You don't need to to say all the formalities. Simply decide in your heart and ask God to equip you to focus on the heart rather than the outside compliance. You don't need to take a solemn oath. Just determine to not commit murder in the heart, for example, by forgiving your offender, by extending forgiveness to the person who hurt you and not hating him or her because that would be the same as murder in the heart. So you commit to saying no to these things. You also commit to saying no to lust. We can use the language that Job used, make a covenant with your eyes. Again, you don't need to make a solemn oath. You don't need to sign a contract. Just make a covenant with your eyes that you will continuously pray for purity. And you will honor this system, Jesus' system. Now, Jesus addresses many more issues of the heart in the remainder of chapter 5 and then a few more in chapter 6. We're going to cover, for example, next week, we'll talk about the relevance of the Word of God. Brian reminded us about this earlier. And again, we, we couldn't plan this better. Next week, we're going to talk about how to respond to insults and injury because that's next in the text here. I may take a week or may take two to cover that because there's so much to cover, so much to talk about, but that's the relevance of the Word of God. So for now, I want to encourage all of us to uphold the standard that Jesus expects from us concerning deception, and that is it shouldn't even cross our minds, okay? If you're a believer in Christ, you have a commitment to telling the truth and meaning what you vowed to commit. It doesn't mean you don't, you can't change careers, you can't change ministry, volunteer positions here. That's not what it means. But if you do need to change it, do it right, because God is going to be glorified, and it's going to speak volumes of the integrity of your heart, and that's going to glorify Jesus Christ. We're being the light of the world. And you've heard me say this more than ever in the last few months. We have in our hands a great opportunity to be the light of Christ in a dark world more than ever before, more in my lifetime. I've never seen such great opportunities for us to shine brighter for the glory of God so that people will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And again, as long as those good works are proceeding from a transformed heart and we're not focused on outside compliance only, but we're focused on heart transformation because when you aim at heart transformation, friends, attitudes and words and all of these things will, will flow naturally because the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So uh, it's our commitment to honor God and Christ in everything we do. And here's another thing you should say yes to. And we'll all finish with this. If you're not a follower of Christ, you need to come to Jesus Christ right now because he's calling you. He's summoning you to come to him and say, repent and come to him and be saved. Now, if you don't do it, of course, I still want to be your friend. But if you do it, I want to hear about it. And we want to walk together because, again, the Bible says he starts a good work in you and you will complete it until the day of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to open the Word of God and see what you have to say, Lord, about uh, the issue of deception, something that is so ingrained in our sinful nature, Lord. We lie sometimes not even knowing that we lie, Lord. We are untruthful sometimes and subconsciously, Father, because it's, it's part of our culture, it's part of our society, Lord, it's part of our flesh. Lord, but you've called us to a high standard of living, 
you call us to live a life that honors God and as subjects of the kingdom of heaven, we should honor the king. And we honor the king by speaking the truth because the king is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have been set free by the truth, Lord. So, Father, help us understand that and make adjustments in our lives. Whatever is necessary, Lord, whatever is going to cost and however unpopular it might be, Father. But those of us here at Grace Baptist Church, Lord, we desire to speak the truth. We desire to honor you, Lord, and so that we can avoid hypocritical religion, something you condemn, that Jesus condemns so much here, Lord. We don't want to be like those guys that Jesus is condemning, Lord, but we are sinners, and we want to pray like this. Father, have mercy on us, the sinners, Lord. And, and when you do, Father, we pray that you will equip us to live a life that honors you in such unprecedented days, Lord. We have great opportunities to do that, to shine the light of Christ, to hold the baton, and to uphold the truth of the Word of God, Lord. I pray that we will do this boldly here at Grace Baptist Church. We consider a great honor and privilege to do that, Lord. And in the process, we pray, Father, that you will continue to protect us. Give us a, a renewed sense of your presence, Lord. Rekindle our love for you and our a sense of passion for you, Lord, because we need it, and we need it every day, Lord. And we thank you for that, Father. And again, we want to say that our joy surpasses all understanding. Our peace surpasses all understanding. That doesn't mean from time to time we question and we wonder what's going on, Lord. But the truth is we, we have the joy of the Lord, and we want to live by that joy because, Lord, we want to honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.